Well, praise God, we're going to go on with Ephesians chapter... Ephesians chapter 6. And you remember we got to the stage of verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against uh, spiritual wickedness in high places or wicked spirits in heavenlies, or better translated, wicked spirits in the air, because the Greek word there doesn't actually um, speak of heavenlies. It's only used twice, and it's speaking of the air, the atmosphere, you know, wicked spirits in the atmosphere. Um, And so I want to go on, and um, really, tonight I want to lay things on the bedrock of Scripture, And we can look at Scripture and see how things tie in. And if you turn with me first of all, um, let's deal with the devil first, you know. Um, He's the prince of the power of the air. And if you um, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 30, we find these words. John 14... And you will notice in John 14, verse 30, uh, Jesus said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. And Jesus, speaking of the devil, called him the prince of this world. And it's a title that he has, and, and if you turn on to Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, Chapter 2 and verse 13. And he writes to the church at Pergamos in verse 12 and 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. And you remember, of course, that it was the sin of um, Balaam. Uh, and also of the Nicolaitans, which were in that church, which we dealt with. But Satan's seat, Satan has his throne and seat in certain places. And then we go on to Revelation 13, chapter 13, and you'll find in verse 4, and when we go into the uh, Revelation of the Beast, you'll find... And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, beastly, who is able to make war with him? And uh, so you go on. uh, But what I wanted you to understand is that Satan is really the leader or the prince of the hosts of evil spirits. Uh, But do understand this, that the demons don't submit to Satan willingly because they were all of the angels that rebelled against God. But they realize that they will never get anywhere unless they work together. And so they work together more out of grudgingly, out of the fact that they discovered that their plans are thwarted anyway. 
and they try and work together as hard as they can and they do it in a grudging manner knowing that they won't get anywhere if they work separately for they've heard Jesus say that a house divided against itself won't stand and they've discovered by experience that they need each other. Now a lot of people in the world work together with other people not because they love to work with them but because that's the only way to get on. Uh, that's the spirit of the world and that's the spirit of the devil too. Devils work with each other only because they know that's the only way to get on and get anything done. And if they fight against each other, they end up losing everything. So you have to understand that uh, the spirit of the world and the spirit of the devil are virtually the same thing. And the prince of this world is Satan. Now he was the choice cherubim. You remember that comes in Ezekiel. And he fell when he said he'd be like God and God cast him out of heaven. Now, he was the most beautiful creature in heaven. He was the covering one, the one that covered the glory of God. And he looked at the glory of God, and he decided he wanted God's glory. And so God cast him forth. And so, when we come to wrestling and fighting, we come to fight God's enemy. God's enemy is Satan and one-third of the hosts of the angels who fell. Now, I hope you understand that. And angels, there are myriads of angels who fell with Satan. And you must understand that those fallen angels want to destroy mankind and want to destroy the purposes of God and are in total rebellion against God. And the prince of them, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, is Satan. Now, that needs to be understood by us all. And one of the ways that uh, devils and demons try to uh, upset the church of God is found in Second Corinthians. I mean, a spirit won't affect you. That's to didn't then turn to Second Corinthians chapter eleven. But a spirit won't affect you. I mean, uh, spirits just don't affect people, do they? I mean, a spirit won't affect you at all, if you think about it. Um, there's no way a spirit can affect you. A spirit can't affect flesh and blood. He has to work through agents. In other words, uh, the spiritual realm is not the realm in which we naturally live on this earth. You will have noticed that. Uh, we aren't spirits, we're bodies, we're souls. And therefore, uh, there has to be a medium through which spirits work. And that medium is human beings. Uh, and so the devil uses human beings as his instrument. God uses human beings as his instrument. And so one is either motivated by the Spirit of God or by demonic spirits. And you're either on one side or the other. There's no kind of halfway house. There's no kind of intermediate. You understand that. And the way that evil spirits try to get hold of us is found in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 15. And it says this, uh, 
Oh, let me take verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, he seeks to transform himself into a minister of righteousness. Now, a minister ministers. And what the most important thing that the devil does is bring in seditious doctrines. It's teaching and thoughts that come into your mind that upset you, isn't it? Hmm? In your mind, your mind is a plaything, really, and it's in your mind where the problems are, isn't it? Well, isn't it? It's not out uh, kind of in your body, and it's not out in the air. You don't suddenly hear voices, but in your mind you think things. And it's teachings that the devil wants to get into your mind. That's what he wants to get hold of. Mankind is held because the devil operates on people's minds. Now, may I say that there's no such thing as brainwashing. You know, uh, you can't brainwash a person. The Americans have tried, the Russians have tried, and they've found that you cannot do it. You can affect their mind for a time, you can knock out their equilibrium for a time, but basically you cannot brainwash someone. A brain is too complicated a thing to be washed. Unfortunately for some of us, our brains just kind of tick along and that's the way they go. But there are spirit forces that operate on your brain. And you see, for a spirit to get hold of you, he speaks within your spirit and you begin to think in your mind, thoughts. And the enemy can inject any thought into you and what he uses is mouthpieces to bring false teaching. He has to do that. And uh, he might use a mouthpiece of a book. You can pick up certain books and read them and get persuaded by the doctrine. But actually, if you think about it, when you read a book, you actually hear a voice in your mind as you're reading, don't you? You don't just read. If you think about reading... When you read something, look down at your Bible and read that verse. And you will actually read it to yourself. Won't you? You don't silent you. Your eyes don't just kind of gaze at it. And you silently gaze at the page. You look and you read it inside, don't you? And you often hold conversations with yourself inside, don't you? It's called thoughts. Don't you? When you think, do you ever think? Huh? Do you ever think? Do you? Yeah. Much. Ah, good. She says you were looking blank. I wondered, you know, if any voice was going on in there, okay? Got a I mean if you've got a if you've got a brain you'll think. And you think and, and you think in words, don't you? That's what always fascinates me. I wonder how babies think. Well, they've no words to think with. Without language, thought is impossible. If you think about it, 
thought is impossible because you can't express concepts, can you? Hmm? You can't rationally think about something uh, without a concept to think on, can you? Hmm? Or can you? You can't think pure spirit, can you? I'm not talking about scotch. Um, you can't think pure spirit. You have to think with words, don't you? Now, Christ, when he came and preached, he was God. Why didn't he just stand there and... <laughs> he didn't, did he? No, and he didn't start going... Uh, Benedictus, whatever the Pope says, I don't know. Um, What he did, he spoke words easy to be understood. Now, he knew that men's spirits needed understanding because your spirit needs to understand. That's why it's very dangerous. One man came up to me after a meeting, and he said to me, oh, he said, it was wonderful. I didn't understand a word of it, but oh, how it blessed me. How pathetic. In other words, he had tingles up his spine and in his toenails. And the thing was, it won't last. Because it says in Matthew that the the seed that falls into the heart that bears fruit is he that hears the word and understands it. And without understanding, there's no blessing. And it talks about the wicked one coming and plucking up the seed. It's he that heareth the word and doesn't understand. Straight away, the wicked one comes and plucks the word up. So I need understanding always. When spiritual truth comes, I must understand what's said. If I don't understand it, it won't bear fruit in my life. That's why a lot of preaching for um, some of you is useless because you don't understand it. And because you don't understand it, it won't bear fruit. The wicked one just comes and plucks it up from your heart. And so it doesn't remain there long. And I need to understand that uh, the devil knows that he's got to get into your mind and teach you false things. And that's the way to chain you. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The devil's motto is, you shall believe my lies, and the lies shall keep you in bondage. That's the opposite. Christ says you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Now the devil goes about to establish his lies in your heart. And you'll read it again in, um, you know, uh, let me see. Um, uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy, isn't it? Chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4. And... Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. That in the latter times some shall depart from the the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. 
Now, I want you to notice that there are in the world seducing spirits that come to take you away from the truth. And it says, some shall depart from the faith. Now, it is obvious by some departing from the faith that they were in the faith in order to be able to depart from it. You can't depart from something that you weren't in, can you? And it says some are going to um, listen to these seducing spirits and doctrines of let devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Now there are people that will speak lies uh, with a total hypocritical attitude to it. They know, even as they say the things, that the things are lies. That is speaking a lie in hypocrisy. Um having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. That's terrible, isn't it? Fancy forbidding someone to marry. I'm always trying to get them married. Far be it to ever forbid them. Forbid them not. Why should we, married men, be the only ones to suffer? We shall get them all married. They might fill up the suffering of those left behind. No, not at all. It says it's a doctrine of devils to forbid to marry. Doctrine of demons. Now, there is a sense in which I've heard people say, well, if you want to go to the highest place with God, it's better to remain single. Now, that's not forbidding to marry, but it's coming mighty near to it. There are some people that won't ever get married until they're, they're really got into a right spiritual state. Well, they're already in a spiritual state if they believe that rubbish. Uh, it's a doctrine of demons. And demons and seducing spirits convince people that they shouldn't marry. I've met people who've been in the mission field, you know, usually old women, spinsters. And what you could call them in, you know, being charitable in your adjectives is bitter old bags. Um, being uncharitable, you could call them something else. I mean, they are as sour as anything. And they will tell you how the Lord called me to the mission field and I sacrificed my life. And you meet missionaries like that, don't you? Bitter. Boy, when you listen to them, you think, my! And then, of course, you've got the Catholic Church where you have all the uh, priests who won't marry because they're forbidden to. And then you've got nuns living in nunneries, having none. They don't have husbands or anything, and that's awful. I mean, it's, it's wrong for a man to dwell alone. It's totally wrong. It's outside of nature. It's evil. And it's wrong for a woman to dwell alone, if someone asks her. Um, you know, it's wrong. Uh, and it's a doctrine of devils. Now, it's surprising how the enemy will work into your mind and try and convince you. He's got pious ways of putting it. And he's destructive. And it's a seducing spirit. To abstain from meats. Now, I know people who believe that, you know, there's uh, it's a doctrine of demons. Why, my brother-in-law... Um, came visiting my didn't come to visit me 
won't visit me now. But he came to visit my sister-in-law. And they sat down at the table. And my sister-in-law, Frances, who's a good cook, she had produced a nice roast dinner. And they ate this roast dinner. And little Abigail, she's only, I don't know what age she is, bless her, about eight, I suppose, is she? She, she looked at the dinner after she finished her plate and saw there was some more. And Frances said, would you like some more? And the little girl looked at her mummy and said, well, uh, do you mind if I have some more, mummy? You know, may I? And so Francis said, what do you mean, may you? And said, well, at home we're not allowed to eat meat, it's Lent. Poor little children, they're eating beans all the time. Beans. Now, that's cuckoo. Doctrine of devils. No, it didn't do anything for the kids except probably gave them wind. But there was nothing else virtuous about it. Isn't that right, Joe? Um, There's nothing virtuous about not eating meat, you know, especially for Lent. I mean, it's it's a kind of hypocrisy. And so, uh, I mean, and the whole family was suffering for the parents' stupidity. He's a professor. think he'd have more intelligence uh, and there he was you know he's got he goes in every error that comes along he reminds me of some other people i know but any latest error he'll jump into it he loves them you know something new to play with new toy and so this fellow he got these poor kids now abstaining from me is evil there's some people who believe you know they believe the story in the bible that uh, God gave man the grass to eat and the herbs of the field to eat. Uh, he didn't actually intend us to eat animals till after Noah, you see. And so if you go back and you're regenerate, then you don't need to eat animal food anymore. But God said all the animals and the fowls of the air, they're for our consumption and food. But there are people now who believe that you should become vegetarian. And that's a doctrine of demons. And, you know, I've always found anyone that gets into that always ends up spiritually badly affected. And it won't do your physical frame much good either. I know there's lots of excuses like, you know, the hormone treatment they give animals to fatten them up. And then they use, you know, uh, battery hens. You know, they're well-charged, the eggs. Um, and, and they they use all sorts of excuses, but basically it's a doctrine of devils, and we need to be aware of those type things. You know, you just you just know it's a doctrine of demons. And um, I remember a story of old. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy now from Hawaii. What was his name? Darcy, Darcy, Darcy. Yeah, he came over to Dallas. He went to Dallas. And he was put up to lodge with a couple of people in the church who lived on bird seed. Um, you know, they were health food addicts. And poor old Dursey, there he was living, you know, from Hawaii. And he must be, I suppose, about 18 or 22 stone or something. You know, he's around the. Anyway, he's well-rounded, you could say. Grossly fat, if you're honest, but well-rounded, if you're polite. And... 
He was there and he was living on birdseed and after four days he was dying. He, he's, you know, he said to a friend, he said, man, he said, I wasn't born a canary. <laughs> I must get me some real food. So they took him out to this restaurant, uh, which in America, there's certain restaurants where you can go in and you can keep eating and ordering and eating as much as you like for a certain amount. I don't know how much it is. I guess ten dollars. I don't know what is it. Kurt? Do you know what? It varies. Anyway, Darcy went in this place, and so he looked down, and the first thing he ordered was a one and a half pound steak, and he ordered it, and he had seven, one after the other, and after the seventh, he stopped. And when he related it to me, he said, man, he said, I could have eaten a few more, he said, but I felt I was embarrassing them. <laughs> That's Darcy, bless him. Now, he didn't believe in doctrines of devils, but I tell you what, I think he had a devil the other way. <laughs> doesn't say eat whole cows. <laughs> I mean, that is terrible, isn't it? Bless him. But he, he was forced to live on his people. People living on bird seed, and he was upset about that. So I, I figured when I went to Dallas, when they said that we, we're putting you with a family, I thought, oh dear father, not them. <laughs> I'll go tweeting. Oh dear. Well, that's it. That's when you travel, you know, that people you go and stay with sometimes. It, it's a surprise when you get in their homes. You have never seen. Well, I won't tell you. You, you, but you get in their homes and you wonder, Lord, you know how? Make a note of that. Um, you wonder how a person can can actually live like that. And it's a doctrine of devils. Then it it says that uh, meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which know. The believe and know the truth. And every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused except snails. If it be received with thanksgiving, because <laughs> I just don't think I could take them. Uh, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in uh, in China, one of the things I couldn't eat was birds' feet, you know, chicken's feet. They bore up sweet and sour chicken's feet. I looked in the dish. Fortunately, you know, there was a way of avoiding them. You ate so much of everything else, you just hadn't got room for them. <laughs> At least that was my story. There were these chicken's feet, and I said to the chap I was with, who was Dennis Balcom, as he was chewing them. <laughs> Nails sticking out, you know, chicken's feet. Pick it up, pull by the string, and it kind of goes like that. Ah, no, no, I said, listen, brother, I said, the only time I ever eat chicken's feet is if I knew from the day of their birth they wore booties. Otherwise, never. <laughs> I said, you won't get me touching them. And think where the feet go. Sweet and sour chicken's feet. He said it was very, you know, it had a special flavor of its own. I can imagine it. My feet would have a flavor of their own, too. <laughs> no one wants to eat them. 
but there are, you know, you can eat all things with have it be received with thanksgiving. But I tell you, if I ever came to your house and you gave me chickens for eat, I wouldn't thank you. <laughs> no. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. He was an amazing chap, this chap, Dennis Polk, and beautiful saint really was. And, you know, he would get uh, bits of ginger and just chew them. Uh, whole ginger and just, mm, and eat it. I mean, it would burn, you know, it was like eating gunpowder after it's been lit. And I mean, you know, I tasted one by mistake. I put it in my mouth and I chewed on it. And, I <laughs> and then I looked over at him and he was going, nom, 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 nom. and then I noticed, you know, he kept going, nom, nom, nom. Uh, and he was real Chinese. He kept going, hee, hee, hee. I realized what it was. He was letting the heat out. <laughs> That's why Chinese laugh like that. But you can eat everything with thanksgiving, if so be you have that inclination. I don't. Uh, and we have to understand that. That's something that the Scripture says. <laughs> with thanksgiving. And it's sanctified by prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm a good minister, I've reminded you. Nourishing, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, it's good doctrine to teach people these things. Don't abstain from marriage. It's a doctrine of devils. See? Don't abstain from meats. It's good, and watch out when people start taking you off into queer doctrines. It's always watch out. Women are, are, are the real prime movers. When it comes to seducing spirits, a woman is open to a seducing spirit far easier than a man. Now, why, might you ask? Well, a woman's easier deceived than a man. The Bible says so. Eve was deceived, Adam sinned. Woman will move by her intuition. Man moves by his intellect, if he has one. Um, he will generally move by intellect and reasoning. A woman will move by intuition. A woman will do things on the spur of the moment and say things before she's put a brain in gear. Whereas a man tends to have more sense. I say tends to because I can see there are exceptions. Um, but generally speaking, that's the way it is. And evil spirits know the susceptibility of women. That's why a man's got to be the head of the woman. Because a woman will go into error. Man, it's far. They, they just move less slowly. The truth is that a woman will move quicker into truths, spiritual truths of God, and she'll also move quicker into demonic errors. So a, a man must have headship. That's why you must never have a woman as a pastor or minister in a church, that is totally anti-biblical, and it will always lead to destruction. And uh, I remember with Brother Miller, I once uh, was discussing that very matter with him, and he disagreed and pointed out two women who he said to me were three women, who he said had real ministries from God. All three have gone into destruction, as far as I know, and he would agree with me now. But um, that, they've, that they've gone that way. Now, I'm not saying that a woman can't have a ministry, but a woman must always be submitted to a man. And 
for their sake, you know, for their safety. It's not that we want to browbeat you, lovely ladies. But understand that you are open to deception and therefore you need a man. Aren't you lucky? Now, that doesn't mean uh, you need a man who obviously walks in spiritual truth and knows the things of God. doesn't mean that any husband necessarily will take the place of the priest. It's only a man who's truly been brought that way by God. And um, that we need to understand as well. But anyway, uh, these devils come with these doctrines and it's always in the mind if you think about it it's always mental conflict isn't it that you get hmm? I mean how often do you do begin to doubt things how often have you find strange thoughts come into your mind that are really foreign to you like you know someone says something and you, you think well how could Jonah really have been swallowed by a big fish and live days or suddenly you know how can you really believe in Adam and Eve or thoughts just get injected into your mind to doubt the word of God every so often you'll find bing a thought come totally out of the blue and you'll start thinking about the subject now seducing spirits work on that basis of getting your mind thinking they can get you thinking and reasoning about it. They can outwit you. I don't think about it. I just know. Thought comes to my mind about Adam and Eve. Well, I know they were the first. Well, where did uh, Cain and Abel get their wives? I don't know. Doesn't say. But they had them. Well, how did it all work? I don't know don't care either you know I'm not a person that goes into contentious questions people ask me I just say well I don't know and I don't care and I don't think it matters because God doesn't tell us now you can work out theories and I've heard a few theories and none of them satisfy me because God hasn't said so I just accept it people have asked me all sorts of funny questions and I just kind of know that what God says is true and that's it. Don't you? And that's the way we have to live. Demons, they start suggesting things to our mind. Now I want to go on. Those are the way that uh, they operate. Now, uh, how can I recognize the teaching of devils? That's the important thing to know, isn't it? Uh, that's number one. Firstly, Satan uses truth out of balance to beguile. He uses truth out of balance to beguile. And you'll always know when it's Satan operating because truth won't be balanced. For instance, he said to Christ, cast yourself off the temple for it is written. Now I know a lot of people and I think I talked to you recently about some guy who'd read a scripture which said, uh, you know, you shall raise the dead and went off to try and do it. Now that was lunacy. And the consequences were he made a fool of himself. Now, if God has spoken it, it will be balanced, scripture with scripture. Jesus said, ah, it's written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. But what the devil often does in beguiling a soul, he'll bring in a doctrine and overbalance it. For instance, 
there is the overbalance on the gifts of healing, you know, until everything is the gift of healing or the gifts of the spirit, the charismata for the tomata. And people all get caught up and think, oh, you know, it's the gifts, must have the gifts, must have the gifts. And it becomes the main emphasis of their life or prophecy. You get people or numerology or genealogies in, in the Bible. People study them and start their mind. That's doctrines of demons. Numerology, numbers. I know people have written books on numerology in the Bible. What Daniel meant by seven times, seven and a half a time, and times ten and twenty, and you know, and you can sit there and you can work it all out, and then you know the numbers four, the number seven, the number eight, the number six, 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 the number, and you know, two, four, nine. I don't know what that is. Hmm? Oh, it's your old telephone number. There you are. I knew it had some significance. Um, I couldn't think what it was. There you are. Great truth there. You've got Hilbert. Um, the, the thing is, a lot of people get all sorts of ideas and they try and work out that people talk about eschatology, the Lord's second coming, and they work it all out. They're doctrines of devils. I know some people that have, well, there's a Mrs. Porter. She prophesied the Lord was coming in 1963. No, no, 73, I beg your pardon. The only trouble was she didn't arrange and tell him that he was meant to come then, so he didn't. And there are other people who, who've gone onto the top of mountains believing they're about to be translated. And they've sold everything and gone up the mountain to meet the Lord. And the Lord didn't come. So they came down the mountain penniless. But a couple of people made themselves millionaires <laughs> with that prophecy. Um, taking over the stuff, you know, from the people who didn't need it any longer. And that's, you know, so crooked. But people get deceived by seducing spirits. Deception's an easy thing to get hold of. And it's always truth out of balance. With Peter, Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. And, and Peter turned around and said, Be it far from you, Lord! And he turned around to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. And you see, Satan used Peter's mouth. And you will find people will come with thoughts and inject them into your mind and they're used of the devil. They're speaking from the devil when they speak those things. And you've got to learn to discern it and to reject it. And then uh, you've got to remember that the devil also comes with truth out of balance. You know he said to Jesus, all those these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. It often promises you reward, easy reward for no price. Promise of the devil. Always watch out. Where there's no cross, there's no crown. Where there's no self-denial, there's no promise of God. Always understand that that's truth out of balance. Then the second thing you'll do is truth to gain power. Or um, truth to... Um, well, just a minute, let me see. Uh, let's No, let's stay on truth out of balance and give you one more example. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. 
let's take one that really I'd like to lay to rest, if I could, in all your hearts. Truth out of balance. Okay. Here it says... Okay, you're with me in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we are raised, he has raised us up, and we are made to sit in heavenly places in Christ. Now how many people believe they're sitting in heavenly places? In Christ. Well, I do. But, I also know that's positional. In other words, that is my position in God. I know that I've been raised up sitting in heavenly places in Christ. And I also know that there's an actual place. Though spiritually I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ because he's my forerunner who's gone within the veil. I also know that I've got to live on this earth and work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, don't I? And if you look in the same chapter, you see, now, I know a lot of people that will turn around and say, oh, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, the devil can't touch me. Now, that's a good doctrine, but it's a lie. They say, nothing should trouble you. Because you're seated in heavenly places in Christ, you're free from temptation and all the terrors and rigors of the world. But you're not seated in heavenly places in reality, in actuality. You're down on earth still, aren't you? Hmm? Though your positional place is there. Now, a lot of people take positional truth and pretend that it's reality. Now, positional truth just isn't reality. It's true. But it's not actually where I am at this moment. Of course I have a home. Of course Christ is going to prepare a place for me. And of course he's going to receive me to, to, him, to himself. And I'll go there. And where, where he is, you know, I'm going to be. But in actual fact, I'm eternally already there. Because eternity's already begun. But in actuality, I'm working out my own salvation down here now. Even though I'm there. I'm here. And if I take truth and put it out of balance, I can start believing something that's a positional truth is a reality when it isn't. It's laughable to, for me to tell you that I sit down in heaven all the time. Which is true, positionally. But in actuality, I'm here. You can hear me. Can't you? This isn't heaven. It's a nice building, beautiful carpet, but it's not heaven. And you see, but there are people who take that particular truth or the devil puts that truth over to them and then they'll get a particular verse of scripture that says some tremendous truth positionally and then they'll believe they've got it for now. And that's deception. For instance, it says in one place that no sickness shall come nigh thy house. Right. Now that's a wonderful promise of God. How many people experience it? 
I'll tell you what, I know some people, this has been totally removed. And because they're born again, God has delivered them from the curse, totally. I remember one brother, he was going on about that, and he was saying how God had delivered him from the curse so totally and utterly that he was now living in the new creation. Now, there is a positional truth in that, but he was kind of claiming it for reality. So I looked at him and I said, well, tell me something, brother. And he said, what's that? I said, do weeds grow in your garden? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you're in a positional new creation, do you know weeds came from the fall? <laughs> and you shouldn't have weeds in your garden if everything you've got's redeemed. And I said, no doubt you're not connected to the sewers either. Because <laughs> there won't be any in New Jerusalem. He thought I was being vulgar. He knew one thing. I wasn't living in the new creation. <laughs> Asking him something like that. Oh, he got he got really upset about that. But you people do. They get upset over silly things. <laughs> but it's ridiculous. I mean, you ha you haven't got a glorified body. It's too ugly for that. <laughs> you... You haven't got a body that won't feel sickness and age. You'll get old. Your hair's going to go grey. Your teeth will fall out. Your bones will creak. And you'll have all those other glorious benefits of experience. And you will realise when you get there that you aren't glorified. I mean, you, you do age. Now, if you were totally delivered from sin, you shouldn't get any older. Because aging is part of the sin and the curse in your body. And that's the way it is. And, in fact, it's quite interesting if you start thinking along that line. Um, people make farcical remarks and stupid remarks the curse is still upon us. I mean, we live on this earth and we've got human bodies and they show the marks of the curse in them, don't they? Hmm? And there's no way that's going to be obliterated. But positionally in my spirit, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But let me get that balance right. Look on into um, Ephesians 4. Let's take Ephesians 4. And it says... I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, in verse 1, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, why exhort people who are in heaven to walk worthy of their vocation wherewith they're called if they really are in heaven and being delivered from all sin? Now, I've heard people get up. I heard one man get up in Liverpool. And I can remember distinctly him saying that he was seated in heavenly places in Christ and therefore sin would never ever trouble him again. Well, if it were true that he was seated in heavenly places in actuality, sin wouldn't trouble him again, nor would the devil, because it's true they won't ever get into heaven because nothing that defiles will get there. But the trouble was I could still see him, and he was very much alive and very much in a carcass. And it was totally fallacious to believe such a thing. And, of course, if it were true, then Ephesians chapter 4 should never have been written by Paul. And a lot of people get deceived and believe that. And then you look on in verse 22. It says, um, 
Oh, let's take verse 21 of chapter 4. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit as the attitude of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And, and these people were told to put on the new man and put off the old. That's what they were told to do. But these were people who had been told previously that positionally they were seated in heavenly places in Christ. But they weren't delivered from sin because look at this, what it says. And they weren't delivered from all corruption. The next verse says, verse 25, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. But why did Paul write that to people if they were in heaven, totally delivered from everything and living in glory? Now, what had happened is a dear man who was purporting to be a preacher had read in the Bible, it said you were seated in heavenly places in Christ and demons and seducing spirits started feeding into his mind, oh, this is total victory. Hallelujah, glory to God. You know, wonderful, isn't it? You've totally overcome sin. You get their position, you live and walk in this in the spirit and you'll never ever fall. Now, it's a beautiful idea, isn't it? If only we could attain to it. So, if you were a dummy like I was in there before, I thought, well, dear, oh dear, I wonder how I get this experience. Now, I never found the way to get it, so if you do, let me know. Uh, but I think you've got to die. I mean, physically. Uh, don't bother to come back after you have and tell me. might frighten me. But um, that's the only way you're going to get it. And then it goes on uh, in verse 27. says, neither give place to the devil. But the devil doesn't have a place in heaven. So if I were seated in heavenly places, how could I give place to the devil if he couldn't get there? So you see, to take the doctrine or the truth out of balance is a dangerous thing. Now that's always what the devil does. What he'll try and do is highlight one scripture and get you to ignore the rest. I've just taken Ephesians to show you where there's one statement and you follow the epistle through and you can see clearly that Paul couldn't have meant what they said he meant. All right, do you all follow that? Is that logical? If it is, you can nod. Is it logical? You're all right, Paul. You followed that, did you? I get worried about Paul. I've got to make sure she's with me. You sure? Do you follow it, Kirk? I'll check on the Americans here, you know. You follow what I said, did you? Check on the... Well, you see, English can understand it anyway, can't you, Anthony? Did you follow it? You're all right, are you? All right. Okay. Righty-o. So then we go on. Now, that's truth, which is um, um, out of balance to beguile. Then let's go on to truth to gain power. And um, if you turn with me to Philippians, which should be just after Ephesians, in chapter 2 we find these words. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 5, it says this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross now Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death now one of the things that the devil always tries to trap a Christian with is pride what you've got now is something greater than Christ had. You know, now Jesus has paid for your sin, you can have total victory. You don't have to suffer. I've heard people say, you don't ever have to suffer now you're a Christian. You don't have to pass through the trials, but you do. Job had to pass through the trials, Paul had to pass through the trials, Peter passed through the trials, and you'll pass through them. There is no way of avoiding God trying your faith. Think it not strange, he said, the fiery trials. They're going to beset you. They will. Through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. There is no way to get a smooth ride to heaven. Whatever Merlin Carruthers said or these other men who wrote books on it. You cannot find a smooth passage. It's rough. Christianity is for the rough life. Now, of course, we have the joy of Jesus, we know the love of the Lord, and we know the presence of God, and we know the calming power of his Spirit, but we also know we have to suffer. If we suffer with him, we know we'll reign with him. And that's what Christianity is all about. It's self-denial. God dealing with us. And there's no way round that. Now, what the devil tries to put over is that you get a special power and you gain, you know, this dynamic experience of the baptism in the Spirit which is going to cause you to live above it. Why I heard of one man, as he, and I remember watching him, he stood beside his wife's grave and he gave glory to God and never shed a tear. And he never shed a tear when his wife was gone. Didn't shed a tear. Because God gave him the victory. Well, <laughs> with some men I can understand it. I can understand them giving glory to God. And thanks to God for the glorious deliverance. Lord, you know, thank you, she's in heaven. At last, and I'm free. Um, that's what they'd say. It's hot in here, isn't it? Can you open some of those windows and get a through draft, you know? Blow you out. Um, so hot. Um, there you get some people who believe that, who believe, oh, well, all you have to do is you just believe God and you're, you get victory. I remember another uh, woman, her husband died, and she was part of... Um, she was part of a well-known charismatic group in England, and I remember I went out to see a couple and they were telling me about this woman. Her husband had died in his sleep and she'd woken up and found him dead, you know, beside her, which I suppose was a pretty nasty experience. And um, yet now, and it was a fortnight after the funeral, she'd, God had told her to fast and she was up transported into heaven and living in glory. And I don't, Alan and David had known the woman. Um, and so I said to 
uh, Trevor Deering at the time, I said, hey, brother, I said, I just want to tell you something. That's demonic. Get her out of it quick. She's starving herself to death. That's a demon. You see, grief is natural. You know, you should feel some emotion. It's not, you can't kind of just have such an experience of God that you cease to be a human being. I mean, you've got to feel emotion. I always get worried when people are so placid, there's no emotion. And they believe they're walking in the Spirit, but that's not natural. And when people start with that, now what the devil does is says, well, you get power that you can live above these things, but you can't. You're a human being. You can't live above hunger. If you don't eat, you should get hungry. If you don't drink, you get thirsty. Hmm? If you don't sleep, you should get tired. Shouldn't you? Ask George and Julia. The, the, the thing is, the last few weeks, old Julia's been sitting on the chair. I kept thinking, you know, to begin with, she was agreeing with everything I said, but then a nod was too frequent. Um, because George is having to get up so early to get to work, you know. And it's working in London, you know. If you were wise, you wouldn't do that. You'd be in a place where you could just walk to work like the crow does on Nelson's column. Um, but <laughs> the... <laughs> it's funny things that come to my mind, you know. <laughs> We have to realize. Yeah, sorry, Chris. Get someone to fill you in on that one. Um, the the thing is, we have to realize that emotion is natural. Now, if you get something out of balance, you'll find the devil will try and persuade you you don't have natural feeling. If you hit your finger and you hurt it, look at that. And you know, I hit that. I, I went ouch. I did. I went ouch. That's all I said, ouch. That's all, Charlie. I know that if you had hit your finger, you might have said something else. I said ouch. This finger's called ouch, and this one, ah! <laughs> but um, this one's ouch. And I, I hit it, caught the nail, and it's going black, and boy, it hurt. I went out. Now, it's normal to kind of show emotion. Someone treads on your foot, you know. You, 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 you kind of express pain. Uh, and you have to learn that there is no way that there's a supernatural experience which is going to stop your natural being from reacting. If it does... I tell you what I believe. I believe that you have a big deception. There's no way, for instance, speaking in tongues. People have said to me, the Spirit comes and takes hold of me mouth and me tongue and speaks through me. Well, I tell you, that's rubbish. I talk in tongues as I talk in English. Nothing takes hold of me. Nothing runs down my spine or down my leg. And nothing kind of grips hold of me being and starts moving me around and I never get any impulsions or compulsions or convulsions 
Um, and I don't believe in it. I really don't. And I think we have to really understand that that is the devil. He always wants a man, and man is fascinated by the supernatural and wants to feel there's some supernatural power that can take him over. That's deadly. Really deadly. That's always demonic. Never happened to me and never will. Hope you understand that. And then the third thing is truth misapplied. Um, the devil will use truth misapplied. And take Ananias and Sapphira. They knew they should sell land and give the money to the work of God. They went out and sold the land. And then before they went there, they kept some back. They lied to the Holy Ghost. But they pretended they'd applied the truth to their lives. But they hadn't. They'd misapplied it. Lied to the Holy Ghost came in and they, they were carried out dead, you remember, one after the other. God slew them for lying to the Holy Ghost. That's truth misapplied. And the devil will try and get us to do that. He'll try and get us to pretend we're living in truth. And yet he'll work out. And also you'll find in, um, in verse 3 of Acts 5 where that story is, um, Peter asked them, he says, Why has Satan filled thine heart? And it was satanic. Satan gets us to misapply truth. And they're all doctrines and teachings and ideas that come from the devil. Now, do understand that those three ways of going are deadly. Now, how can I avoid them? Anyone got any ideas? Well, anyone, any ideas? How can I avoid them? Yes, Chris. Yeah, well, I know my Bible. It's got my name in the front. Oh, to know what's written in your Bible. Oh, is that what you meant, Chris? We've got to, you know, get truth applied, right, haven't we? Um, I've got to know what's written in it. Is that what you mean? Okay, wouldn't you say the Jews knew that? He said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life. Okay, well, what else do you need? What? Well, you what else do I need besides the Bible? Pardon? I need the Spirit of God to lighten the word and quicken the word to my soul, don't I? Otherwise, it's just a book, isn't it? So I need the Spirit of God to lighten and quicken it to me. You'd agree? What's the third thing I need? Fellowship. Who with? Other Christians. Who walk in the Spirit. Yeah. I need fellowship with people who walk in the Spirit, and I need to walk in light with them. Why do I need to walk in light with them? Because the devil always works in darkness and therefore he always does things by subtlety and subterfuge. Therefore, if I walk in openness with my brethren, he's going to get exposed. Therefore, I make it hard for him to work in my life and operate in my life if I walk in openness. If I walk in secrecy, watch it. Always walk in openness. 
straightforwardness with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The other thing I need, I need to go where the word of God is preached because it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it discerns with the thoughts and intents of the heart and it also divides between soul and spirit. So I need to know and hear the word of God preached. That'll protect me. Now there are certain things that I rejoice in and these things are, are what really set my heart free. The first thing is that I know that Satan's power, all of his power is derived from God. And he can't have any power except God gives it him. It's the first thing I know. The second thing I know is that it's limited power. God has limited Satan's power. When he created Satan, he limited his power. And you'll find that expressed, for instance, with dealings of Job. Do you remember? He said to Satan, you can go so far, no further. Then he came back, Satan came back, and he said, you can go, God said, you can go so far, no further. God limits Satan's power. The third thing is it's a ministerial power, and you remember I showed you last night in Hebrews, it talks about the angels being ministering spirits sent to minister to the sons of men. They're all ministering spirits and must minister life to me. And I need to understand that. Then, the fourth thing I love is that he's the prince of the power of the air or is the god of this world. The thing I know about Satan is he's only got a limited location and time to operate in. He can only operate in this world and secondly, he can only operate while this world lasts. At the end of this world, he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit with all his disciples and fallen angels. Down he's going to go and that's the end of him. So I rejoice in that fact. I know he's only going to trouble me while I'm in this life. Once I leave this life, the devil can't trouble me at all. So he's only got a little time to get at me. And the fifth thing is that there's no light in the devil's domain. I know when I start talking to people, they've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If so, be they're born again. And once you're in the kingdom of light, the devil can never rule you. He can deceive you, he can trap you, but he can't rule you. You come into the kingdom of God and of his dear son, Jesus Christ. So it's lovely to know that the devil can't do much with you. Hmm? Isn't it? You might fall, but then you'll sing a song, Oh, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And I was thinking tonight, did we sing that tonight? We did. I was thinking about it anyway couldn't think whether we'd sung it or not. Um, when I rise, you know, the, the thing is, every time I fall and I get up, I get up stronger, not weaker, because I know how craftily the devil took me down that time, and I get up more determined not to be caught out that way again. So don't rejoice against me, devil, because when I fall, I'm going to rise, and when I rise, I'm going to disturb your kingdom even more. And I take joy in the fact that whenever the devil knocks me down, all he's done is let me know one more of his subterfuges. There's one more trick he can't pull on me without me knowing about it. So he might have got me, but he got me for the last time that way. And that's something to rejoice in, isn't it? Hey, Can't work in darkness on that route any longer. Because I recognize it for what it is, and I say, right, devil, I won't go that way again. Hmm? 
nice limited power and light and you realize how to keep free now those are important things to know and I know this that I can be set totally free from fear of the devil when I begin to see the devil for whom what he is he is a only a fallen angel well he's the choice cherubim but he's fallen Secondly, he was created by God, so he has no power except that which God loans him. And he cannot go beyond the bounds that God sets. He's only got a time here on this earth in which to operate. And all his angels that are with him are bound and even more by God than he is. So the devil can't really affect me that much. Do you understand that? And he is a ministering spirit. He was born a ministering spirit sent to minister to the sons of men. Now what he tries to minister to me is death. But what Christ has come and ministered is life. And Christ is over the devil. And therefore there's no way the devil can conquer me. What he can do is he can cause me to walk out of light. But when I repent and walk back into light, what I've learned is a good lesson on how not to get caught the second time. And so the devil's opportunities of getting me get less and less as each day goes by. And I don't worry about the devil. I don't believe a demon will get me, you know, or some person can curse me and that's the end. You know, there's stories, I hear stories about Christians who've been cursed by people out in outer Mongolia or, or you know, Tin Shack town in South America and they think the devil's cursed them and they're Christians and they get all bowed down and twisted and they think the devil's got them but I know the devil cannot touch me he hasn't the power to touch me unless God gives him that authority can't and then God limits it says devil you go so far no further you can't touch his life, that belongs to me. He's given it to me. You can't divide him from me because life, death, no principalities, no powers, no nothing can divide him from me, devil. You can't destroy him. You can't stop him having forgiveness because Christ has bought it and it's atoned for on Calvary's cross. And so the devil has very limited power. That's why... When Job sat down full of boils and everything on the heap and he was scratching himself because he was itching all over and he was scratching away, he never once mentioned the devil. Oh, you know, like some charismatics will, oh, the devil's given me a bad time. I, I mean, have you ever heard people, oh, the devil, the devil, the devil, you know, oh, dear, it's the devil, you know. Come and pray for me, the devil's done this. Oh, come and pray for me, the devil's done that. I mean, that's not true. The devil isn't sovereign, he isn't Lord, and he hasn't got the power. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, and the devil's his servant, and has to do Christ's bidding. And if you are oppressed, it's to teach you, and to purge you. And if you fall into temptation, it's to show you that you can't stand. And if you fall into some sin, it's to teach you how uncomfortable it is to fall into it. Do you know, I was, um, I, something springs to mind. 
I, I was, when I was in Ripon, there was this guy who always came for prayer every so often, and he believed he'd got demons. And he was a, a fellow who was a homosexual. Now, if there's one sin I have problems with, it, it's that, personally. I, I'm, when I say I have problems with it, I mean, <laughs> let me put that plainly, just in case the ladies misunderstand this. Um, I, I find that's the hardest thing for me to stomach. Uh, you know, personally, to me, uh, with my... I, I just can't kind of cope with it too well. And this guy used to come, and he believed these devils were driving him. And he came, you know, and he, he said to this brother, and me, you know, we were out in the field talking, and he said, oh, you know, woe is me, I've fallen. You know, I got tempted, the devils got hold of me again. And, and he was going on like this. And this brother, and usually if you started praying, he'd roll on the ground and cough and splutter. And 20 minutes later, he'd get up saying, oh, he was delivered. Hallelujah. Go off and do the same thing again and come back a month later. But anyway, there he was. And he came and he started his nonsense, you know, and uh, telling us how he'd fallen and wasn't it terrible. And, oh, dear, the sorry tale. And we were walking in these fields. And then my friends started to pray. And this fellow, he went flat out on the floor and started to roar. But he only roared one roar. Ah! Because he'd dive right into a bed of stinging nettles. <laughs> and I've never seen instant deliverance like it. The devil went right like that. And we, we rolled on the ground laughing. He was about to give an exhibition on how you can get delivered from devils and a stinging nettle spoiled it. Oh, it was funny. We laughed and laughed. So it's all right for you to laugh. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> but, you know, I just just haven't ever managed to be a sanctified saint. I just find those things so funny. <laughs> I can still picture him now. He went down, you know, and he went down horizontal and he came up vertical without kind of pushing, you know. He just shot up. I bet next time he goes to a prayer, he looks to see what he's going to dive in. <laughs> oh, glory to God. He must have been pulling thistles out of him for a long time. But it looked so funny. <laughs> he got real goosebumps. What a thrill. Stinging nettles up and down. And people get the wrong idea about the devil. You know, blame the devil. It's the devil that made me do it. The devil never makes you do anything. You do it because you want to do it. What God does is he sends spiritual forces to take you into it, to teach you what's really in your own heart. And the devil only picks up what's really in you and then uses it. And then you find out and you think, oh God, how could I be like that? And that's the way it operates. And you learn more about yourself when you sin than you do about anything else, don't you? Hmm? Don't you? And that's the glory of it. You learn more about your own susceptibilities and weaknesses it was lovely, you know, 
thing that delights me most is to see people become normal. To be, you know, kind of gut reaction. I like to see gut reaction in people. Where they really let go and you know really what's in them. That, now that I find healthy. I can live with people like that. There was someone I can't remember. I was saying to my wife this morning, there was someone I used to be able to have a real good argument with, but once I'd said me peace, I could just forget it because to me, it did, never leaves a rancor in my spirit. If someone annoys me, I can tell them, you know, they've annoyed me and I'll be dead straight with them. But afterwards, I just forget it because it's discharged. You know, I don't chew on it and sit there and ruminate. But there are other people that chew. Chew. And chew. Something niggles them, and for weeks they chew on it. And that's devilish. That is something that's evil. I never... If I get angry, I'm provoked to action. I tell the person what I think, and that's it. Forget it. Now, the person might remember what I've said for months afterwards, but I, as far as I'm concerned, it's out of my spirit. and I mean, they've got the problem, not me. I, I just forget it after that. It's gone. Dealt with it. And that's the way we should all be. None of us should ever harbor any bitterness or resentment. Ever. That is the most cankerous thing ever to have, bitterness or resentment. A root of bitterness springing up defiles many people. And one thing you've got to understand is to keep short accounts with your brethren. If you someone upsets you, you go, you put it right and forget it. It's the end of it. If I annoy you, well, come and tell me. But be prepared that I'm going to tell you where you annoy me. And, I mean, let, but let's be honest with one another and walk in the light one with another. Let us learn that what God wants to do is speak to our hearts and bring us to openness and to honesty and to recognize that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. My war is not with you and your war is not with me. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in high places. That's where the fight really is. Let us see that we're all in spiritual conflict. That our minds are influenced. If bitterness comes into your heart, it's a spirit force operating. Now you've got to get rid of it. You can't let it go there, otherwise it'll be like a cancer. It'll eat you up. If you are living, you've got to live in openness and clarity of heart. I never ever get upset in the sense of chewing over and mulling over something and going on and going on. I can't live like that. If something stirs me, I let it out straight away. Bang. I, I just can't live ruminating upon things. It's not in my nature. God didn't give me that nature. When I became a Christian, I learned to face people up. I'll face anyone up. And that is what a Christian's got to do. Otherwise, that root of bitterness begins to work. And spirits and doctrines of devils will come to you and start teaching you about that other person. And it's surprising what a catalogue of offences you'll find in them. I know someone does something, and then the next thing you notice that you don't think they keep their hair very tidy. 
And then the next thing you notice, look at the way he treated his wife. Look at this that he did. Look at that that he did. Look at something else he did. And before you discover one little brick that wasn't put right, right at the start, and you build a whacking great mansion, and the devil builds up in your mind a whole screed of information against the person, then try and love them. Come to a breaking of bread service and, you know, everyone's beginning to rejoice in God and you go around and, and you share your love with that brother and you put your arms around him and you think, <laughs> and what's in your mind and in your heart really, if you're honest, all the resentment and bitterness that the devil's built up there. And he operates like that to divide brethren one against the other. That's how he operates. And that is a spirit force operating. It's not natural. And we need to keep ourselves clear of them and fight them when they come. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, it doesn't matter whether you like my hairstyle or you don't like my hairstyle. That has nothing to do with my spiritual state. Nor whether I eat bacon for breakfast or, or sausage. That's nothing to do with my spiritual state. But it's amazing how little things get added by the devil. Have you ever noticed how he'll pick little things up hmm? and begins to drop it? You know, constant dripping of water, weareth away the stone. And one little thing begins to niggle you. Wives will notice it. Something their husbands do in the morning, they annoy you and they go off to work. And all day long, trickling into that little mind of yours is, huh, fancy him doing that. And he forgot this. And what about that? And by the time the poor husband, who's had a hard day at the office, opens the front door, you know, the wife's ready for him. And all he did, he didn't eat all his porridge at breakfast. And never likes my cooking. Uh, and, but it stirs up in the mind. The devil builds. Doesn't he? And then the husbands get up in the morning. And they go, they've got to get to work. And they're quickly shaved as best they can. Half asleep. And wishing they could have slept for another two hours. And they race to the wardrobe to get dressed and there's no clean shirt. And your wife knows that you need a clean shirt. Why am you on this clean shirt? You know, oh, no, no, I'll be late, you know. And the joys of marriage and quickly they come. Fortunately, I, I have non-ironed shirts. So I never have that problem. But there, there they are. And they race around and the husband goes out. And, you know, afterwards. And the wife kind of shuts the door. Never even gets a kiss goodbye. Terrible not to kiss your wife goodbye. Off, off, off the husband goes to work. He's driving the car along. Grates the gears. Nearly crashes into someone. Mad with the traffic. Someone tries to cut him up so he shoves him in the ditch. Yeah. And this is because his wife hadn't given him a clean shirt. Gets to the office, and you dare let anything go wrong, and he's going to bite someone's head off. How can you be so stupid? And all day long it builds up, and the devil, you know, come home at night time. You're no good to me. You're no good as a wife. Don't do this. And she's gone and cooked you some dinner you hate anyway. 
She likes it, but you don't. What do you cook that for? Couldn't get a clean shirt to smoke. And all these things are built, and you're up to there. And who's been feeding you all this information all day long, like into the computer, just tabulating it out and watching it come up on the screen? A little fiend with two horns. <laughs> watching it like a ticker tape going through. And he's watch, you know, the smoke begin to rise from your chimney. You know, my wife's not a... How can you be... Call yourself a wife and behave like that. And the devil... Now, those are spiritual powers. It's not natural. We say, oh, it is natural. But you see, when you're a Christian, you're not. You're in warfare. Now, I hope that none of you kind of identified yourself in those type things very much. It happens, doesn't it? It happens. It might happen in different areas. Like your car goes wrong. And you get out and kick the thing. Cuss thing. Doesn't it know it should go? Of course, you haven't serviced the poor beast for so long that it, it can't help coughing. And you've forgotten to put petrol in and you haven't air in the tires for so long and you don't even know where the battery is you don't expect it and of course it won't start then you get people trying to push start you and they're cussing the car too stupid thing getting stopped in the rain and you know the old enemy then begins to build all sorts of things have you ever found something will go wrong just a little thing will go wrong with it and, and you almost want to throw it away. Totally irrational, illogical. Or you have to go out and buy a new one. Can't put up with it. And where does that feeling come from? It's spirit force, you know. It's weird. But you see, the enemy likes to get hold of us. You say, well, those aren't. But they are. They say, but they're just my thoughts. They're not. There's power in them. You try when you get into one of those moods to turn it off. Say, right, I've had enough of this. That's stupid just because he didn't eat the porridge. And try and turn it off like that. Because you should have control of your mind by an act of your will. Have you ever tried to just stop in your tracks when you've got into one of those moods? and cut it off, and cast it out, and you find you can't. It's got power going inside you, hasn't it? And, it begins, and, and no matter what you try and do to turn it off, you can't. That's when you know it's spirit going. Now, maybe I've used illustrations that don't apply to you. I mean, Kirk hasn't got a wife yet, so he doesn't know the joys of burnt porridge, or toast, or dinner that he doesn't want. Um... And there might be some people here who haven't got the things. But there are other areas. Get to work. And you get to work and someone's done something that's so stupid. And then they lie about it. They claim it wasn't them, it was you. You know? It was never their fault, it was your fault. 
And you know it was their fault. And they know it was your fault. And so the atmosphere starts. And for the rest of the day, the devil builds on it. And you lose everything, don't you? Your peace, your joy, your tranquility. And you say, ah, well, it was just, you know, something that happened. It wasn't. It's spirit forces operating. 